thank you so much uh, for uh, for agreeing to meet with me. We met through Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, uh, and I just had a podcast with him as well. And so I I haven't really prepared an introduction for you, a formal introduction, but I think That's it's amazing. always better if you would introduce yourself and maybe yes. start with, uh, with your story. So the reason that you're so passionate about this, and then we'll yeah. go into it because you know, after reading um, his book, Assassination Generation, and and all, and all of this other stuff that I've, I'm learning too, and I have an mm -hmm. open heart and an open mind, and I just, you know, my, my goal in life is to keep our kids safe, and mm -hmm. this is a big part of it, and so I want to make sure that I include this in my message as well. Yeah, this is really a big underlining part. All the ways that kids use technology is the basis and the foundation for not only the good things in, in their life, but the uh, problems and the mental health issues and all of the, you know, it's a foundational issue. It's, it's not um, something to be taken lightly at all. And I think that we have all taken this way too lightly for way too many years as we have done a terrible experiment on our kids. So let me just start. I will just tell you my story. My name is Melanie Hempe. I'm a registered nurse. I'm retired now. I went to Emory University and learned a lot about a lot of things, but I did not learn about video game addiction. And I moved to North Carolina. We had our four children and our oldest son became very addicted to video games right under our nose. But back then, before 2010, um, we, you know, he graduated high school 2010. So all through middle school, um, you know, he started playing a lot of video games. I thought that he was getting smarter by the minute. I thought that he was learning code. I don't ask me yeah. why, other than I, he tried to tell that. me he was learning code. I'm like, now I know that was just a little lie. <laughs> um, but to his credit, he was having a lot of fun. And, and back then, you couldn't even say the word addiction with gaming. Like people thought you were crazy. Like, you know, you couldn't be addicted to a, a, a experience like that. Ga you know, game or addiction was for drugs and alcohol and, and maybe gambling. But um, video game addiction is very similar to gambling. In fact, if not sort of the same thing and does it works on the same areas of your brain so um the way that our story unfolded was very sad adam uh learned to love his video game world and his virtual world um more than life itself really and he was very good at it he was a straight a student so i missed it i missed some natural warning signs that maybe parents would get he um, got a laptop in high school. That was back when they started issuing laptops. And that was the beginning of the, the most difficult period because I could no longer control the amount of time that he was spending on his game. He went to college. I could not wait for him to graduate from high school and go to college um, because I just knew he was gonna just forget this silly habit of gaming all the time. And you know, when I look back, it was very sad. He was my first child and I didn't understand what he was not doing in high school and what he was not doing. He was not making really good friends and he was not certainly making friends in person. All of his friends were on his game and they were all over the place and we never really knew who they were. So he became very detached from us, from his family. 
all the while he lived here and he was down in the basement playing video games and he would come up every now and then to do his chores, but he would much rather be in his gaming world than with his family. And I just thought this was normal. I just thought he's a boy. He plays video games. Like, I just thought that was what you, you did. Right. But what I realized when he went to college is he just became a bigger gamer. So you have little gamers that grow up to be big gamers. And he ended up dropping out of school. He dropped out of college after that first year because he stayed in his room and he played video games because I wasn't there to set the kitchen timer and to get him off. And I used to call myself the game cop mom. I hated that job, but I was the police in the house trying to regulate the hours. And I was the mean guy, you know, mean mom trying to get him off. But Anyway, I was so glad he was in college. I was taking a little retirement from that job. <laughs> and, um, but it all backfired the day I went to pick him up. I picked him up. He was a wreck. He looked like he was on drugs. In fact, I asked him if he was on drugs because I'd been in enough nursing school to understand the signs and symptoms. And he said, no, mom, World of Warcraft did something to me. That's what he said. So I, uh, it hit me like a ton of bricks. We were driving home on I-40, I remember right where we were, and the whole thing came together for me, and I realized that he he had a problem with video games. I ended up traveling around the country. I met a lot of neuroscientists and doctors, and that's where I met um, Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman. I met a lot of experts in the field, and all the pieces came together just within months. I figured out what had happened to my son. For Adam's story, we ended up calling the military and we got him enlisted in the army and he signed up and he spent five years overseas part of the time. He was in Iraq. Um, he had a very long 14-week uh, detox and that was called basic training. So what we learned at the time was that was really good for his brain to reset what had happened to him and what had happened to his brain. And so what happened to Adam that I now know that I didn't know while it was happening was his brain was really um, changing and it was morphing according to his world. And so if your child is playing uh, baseball or football or doing art or music lessons, then their brain gets morphed to that and those things. But if your child is playing something as stimulating as a video game, then his brain will be get will change and it will it will the structure of his brain changed and so through puberty what happens is the brain looks at what you have been doing and it keeps those pathways this is why it's really easy for young kids to learn languages they're at their highest learning potential they will ever be their brains are like sponges so around puberty the brain says okay what are we using we're going to keep that and make that stronger. And what are we not using? We're going to lose it. And so what happens with a lot of gamers is their um, gaming skills get better and their limbic area gets uh, really paved. Their reward pathway gets very paved, but their emotional skills and their communication skills and what we call EQ skills get worse because they're not using those. And so you find out that a lot of gamers uh, can't make eye contact, or they don't know how to have friends in person, they're very awkward, and they might get diagnosed with ADHD, you know, or autism, or on the spectrum, because they have some weird social habits, because they have not been using those pathways very much, and when you hit puberty, your brain says, okay, what are we using, and what are we losing, you know, what are we going to 
keep it. What are we going to give away? It's sort of like cleaning out your closet. You know, you go through it and you decide, okay, I haven't worn this in a long time. So it's going to Goodwill and I, I wear this one all the time. So we're going to keep this one. And it's just a natural thing that happens to everybody's brain. Um, and that's what happened to Adam. And so he prefers his drug of choice is the stimulation from a computer and from the video games. His drug of choice is not necessarily to go run outside and play in the backyard with his friends because he stopped doing that around 10 or 12 years old. That, that kind of wasn't his thing anymore. And this happens to a lot of boys. They quit their sports. They quit their music lessons. Middle school is kind of like mile 19 in that marathon. And they quit all the good things because they're getting harder for them. You know, you used to be really good at baseball till you hit middle school. Now you got some really tough competition and, and you're really good on Fortnite and you're really good at Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto. And so you feel talented there. And so you spend all your time there. And that's what happened, you know, with Adam. And this is very typical. It happens with a lot of boys all over, all over the world. The, the problems are cookie cutter from country to country. It's the same thing that we hear from every mom, whether she's in New Zealand or in North Carolina, we hear the same story over and over and over and over. You know, um, moms feel like they've lost their kids because they have. Their kids have left their families and they have moved in with their digital family who maybe they have never even met before, but they feel a sense of belonging. They feel autonomy. They feel that sense of accomplishment. And these are all basic human needs that we all need. And when you transfer that over into the virtual world, you end up with an addiction to a substance that's really an activity, but it stimulates the same dopamine that substances do. It stimulates the dopamine reward pathway in their brain. So Adam went into the military for five years. I feel like that's where he got detoxed and that's where he found himself. And he came back and he's back in school now. So we're very proud of him, but there are a lot of residual issues that he will deal with um, as a result of growing up with 10,000 hours of gaming, which is what we figure is about what he spent. And actually that is the statistic on the average kid who's playing video games. Now we have the same story, very similar for girls who are on social media, boys on video games. It tends to be not all the time because I know we have a lot of girls that game and a lot of boys on social media, but, but it, we just tend to see the boys have struggles more with video games and the girls have more struggles with social media. But 10,000 hours, when you think about 10,000 hours for your child to spend doing anything is going to make them an expert at that. So yeah. Yeah. Um, parents need to decide what that 10,000 hours is gonna look like. We cannot let our kids decide that. They are not adults. We hurt our kids tremendously when we turn over the reins too early. We at Screen Strong really believe that parents need to be coaches for their kids through this whole digital battle that we're in. And we believe there are certain toxic screens. We, we are not a screen-free organization, but we are a toxic screen-free organization. And what that means is we train and help and we educate parents to understand which screens are toxic that are not good for your kids and, and which ones are okay. And um, interestingly enough, the ones that are not toxic, the ones that are, are okay, like building spreadsheets and doing your homework, those are not the screens that our kids are getting addicted to. So <laughs> it's never had a, a mom come tell me she was a problem with her kid addicted to Excel spreadsheets, never, not once. But most every kid, if they have gaming 
or social media in their life on a regular basis, they are developing a dependency. It's just the way it is. We are not, it's not our opinion. This is the science. The science is when you build a habit and you do something consistently every day over and over and over again, even if it's only for a short hour or 10 minutes, you are building a habit. And for things like gaming and social media, they are very addictive habits because they trigger the dopamine production in your child's brain. They trigger the dopamine production in our brain. Uh, we know we have a hard time getting off of social media. We have a hard time stopping the scroll. We, we know, you know, because we're adults and we understand it and we still can't get off. So for children who are being bit by that persuasive design bug, they not only can they not get off, they don't even know that there's something wrong with it because they are not adults. And we um, can keep trying to talk with them and have conversations with them and it doesn't work. <laughs> and it's okay that it doesn't work because their frontal cortex is not fully developed in their brain like ours is. It takes between 25 and 28 years for those connections to be strong and fully developed. And this is very sad, but it is just the truth. And it's okay, it's okay. But we all know that kids even 18, 19, 20 years old, they are still apprentice adults. They are not equipped to handle what needs to be handled in the adult virtual world. So that's kind of my story. Oh, that took more than a few minutes, but um, I'm, I've got a whole lot more to say. <laughs> and um, oh, well, let me just say, and then you can, you can jump in here with a, a question or two, but um, let me just say as a result of what happened to Adam, we started Screen Strong in order to educate parents. We are mostly doctors and nurses. We have a lot of ambassadors that are moms and dads. We have an, a program to train moms and dads to get out there with our presentations and our slide deck. But everything um, that we produce is based in evidence-based science. It's based in the medical facts, the psychiatric medicine. We bring in um, you know, MRIs from the NIH. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that we do, but it's all based in science. It is not based on a parenting opinion. It's based on child development and it's based on brain science. So we started Spring Strong in order to educate parents because most parents, including and especially myself, made tons of mistakes because I, I, I was a nurse and yet I missed the whole thing because Back when I was in nursing school, this was not a problem. Nobody was talking about it. And in the last 15 years, we have learned so much more about teenage brain development than we ever have known. And we used to think that teenagers were adults. They were just smaller versions of adults. And now we know that's not true at all. So because of the development, because of the way the brain works, screen addiction is probably the most trying parental issue in our culture and it affects everything. It affects everything your child does. It affects their relationship with you. It affects their school experience. It affects all their academics and their ability to really focus on that. It affects all their friendships. It affects all their physical activity. It affects what they grow up to love and what they grow up to miss. Um, it affects all their habits. It has changed their brain 
So when they turn 25, their brain looks very different than it would if they had had a more balanced childhood. We love what we do. We have a lot of success stories. We help parents get their kids off of screens. <laughs> Not all screens, but we help them get off the toxic screens. And it's hard. If they're younger, it's easier. If they're 13 and over, it's a little harder. <laughs> you know, if they're 17, it's really hard because you're almost done. But, um, but that's the short story. So I have a whole lot more. I mean, just breathtaking for one thing, because I know so many parents are struggling with this. I did as well, but not just struggling with their kids and knowing what to do. As a single mom, I remember JT wanting to get one of those violent video games. And I just said, absolutely not. And he said, well, let's call Uncle Joe. That's what we call him. And let's you know, because I'm a single mom, he, he respects his, his older uncle. So I called my brother and he was like, sure, why not? <laughs> so I know, did. I know. You know and I felt bad because I would get home. He would get home a couple hours before I did from work. And he's like, mom, I have nothing to do. Let me just play the video games and then I'll come home. But then it became, you know, a, a competition between the video games and, and time with me. Yes. And, uh, and I lost and I know a lot of parents are thinking this, and I will say, I, I mean, I literally call this, this is my phone. It's like, it's like crack cocaine, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I, first of all, I knew exactly where it was while yeah. we were having this conversation. I thought about my own addiction because I know um, it counts the pickup times, uh, my pickup times. I mean, they're just ridiculous how many times I just pick it up to read the same headline and there's nothing even on there. And I know that that would constitute an addiction. And you might read about me one day because I go out to dinner and I see uh, I see a family of four, two parents, both on their phones, two small kids sitting across or next to each other set up with their screens. And I'm just like, you, you know, of course, my son was murdered. And I'm thinking, you have your kids right in front of you. I know. Somehow their day was. You could be sharing, looking into their eyes, hugging them, eating with them, and you guys are on your screens. What is more important on this screen? You're not even living your own life. And but it's really tough. You know, I, I we work a lot with New Hampshire, and Governor Sununu was doing an effort. Um, basically put, putting the phones down and getting out in nature. And yes. wow, how amazing is that? And I was telling my older son, yeah, we, you know, we want to encourage people to put their phones down. And he's like, you can't do that. You can't do that because people aren't going to do that. Well, so, you know, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Yeah, I think that um, we have set the bar so low for our kids. I mean, the bar is on the ground and Screen Strong is here to raise the bar yeah. to say no more. We're done with the whole losing of our kids. We're done with the conflicts that are in our home. We're done going out to dinner and not looking at them and making eye contact. And we're, we're done. We, we have seen that this isn't working and someone has to step up and create a movement to say no more. We've got to save our kids. And I am not being sensational about this. I am not being exaggerated about it. It is just the fact. When you have such a powerful addictive activity, activity or substance, you have to remove access in order to heal, 
in order to open the door for your life. You cannot continue even one hour a day on a violent video game and expect that habit and that addiction not to develop. It would be just like alcohol. It's just like a drug addiction or even smoking. You can't say, well, I I think it's okay to just smoke five cigarettes a day. You know, we're just not going to smoke a whole pack a day. No, it's not going to work. You're going to get addicted and it's, you're missing the whole point. So again, screen strong is not against screens. We are against the screens that are hurting our kids. And it sounds like an impossible task, but what we are seeing is that inch by inch and mile by mile, we are winning the battle. We are winning. We are winning families over. We're, we're getting kids back. Once you have turned the corner and decided to do a screen strong lifestyle, which is no video games and no social media for teenagers, none, no smartphones wow. for teenagers. We wow. have taught text phone. A taught text phone is all they need. They need to maybe call you when the baseball is late, but they do not need social media in their pocket. They all have laptops anyway. And that's a whole nother show for another day. The laptops create a lot of problems. So that's enough for us, right? We can only manage that as as a society. And even that's really hard because we learned in COVID that when kids got in the Zoom classroom, they were really playing video games. They weren't really doing math. Of course they weren't. They're kids, right? This is what kids do. They work around the rules and they figure everything out. But kids do not need the internet in their pocket. They do not need smartphones. And there's um, a lot of science that shows why they don't. There's a lot of physicians that will say, no, there are thousands of tech executives and people that work at tech companies that never give their kids smartphones because they know the power of what a smartphone does. And in our group, we like to say that you can go 48 months without a smartphone. That is four years of high school. And we are very passionate about it because what you trade in return for that is irreplaceable. You can never replace those hours that you spend with your kids and you can never replace all the other activities and the hobbies that they get to do in lieu of that 52 hours a week that they're spending on their phone. They get to replace that with music and sports and art and reading and running and all sorts of activities, cooking, I mean, the list is on, goes on and on and on that screen strong kids do, of course, way more things than kids who are stuck on their screen. And so we really believe we got to raise the bar. And if you're a parent and you're listening out there, I want you to take your parent hat off and put a coach's hat on. You are the coach of your team. If you do not coach your kids, someone else will coach your kids and it will be someone they find on the internet somewhere or it will be a video game or it will be some TikTok person that will coach your kids. So you put your hat on, you are a coach now. And what do you do when you have a losing season? You get a new game plan, right? You get a new game plan and that's what Screen Strong is. We give you the game plan and the template for this. We have an online parent course that just came out. I used to do all these workshops in in person and now it's online. We have this in a number of different schools and churches, community groups. You can get the course. It's on our website. You just look up our website, screenstrong.org.com. We're both. And you click on the tab that says courses. That's the first step. You've got to get educated. 
And in that second part of that course, we have a whole section on solutions and how to do the solution in your home, like how you even change your house. We have stuff in there that, that breaks down every room of your house to explain what needs to be happening in that room <laughs> and what doesn't need to be happening in that room. But we do have also a Facebook group. And this summer, we're launching an online forum on our website where parents come together and they help with tips and ideas. And I'm telling you this, once you go screen strong, once you get rid of these games and you get rid of the smartphone business for your kids, then you will never go back. You will, you will gather your kids again and you won't even know, like, it's the most amazing thing. It's like a miracle that happens. It's like the pot of gold, the end of the rainbow. It's like, what was I thinking? Look what I was missing. And it, the testimonies are just unbelievable of what happens as you can imagine what happens, you know, um, absolutely get, get your kids back. And you so it can be back. done. It can Good. be done. You get your families back. And of course that probably also includes, uh, you giving information for the parents who are also addicted yeah. and who are kind of modeling this social media usage for their kids. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen parents standing in line or even in their cars and they're on their phone and they've got their kids right next to them, just begging, some even dying for their attention. And uh, the phone's getting it, the phone's getting it. And so do you have any statistics on the addiction levels. I'd be really curious to know, like, what's our addiction level with the phone compared to, uh, say, um, say, uh, narcotics right. or, or alcohol, because I would bet that the phone, we know, we know we had some statistics for TVs a while ago and right. they huge. And that was a TV in your living room that had set programming and I can't even imagine what the addiction rate is now. Oh, it's very, very high. We have a lot of resources on our website. Okay. There's a resource tab where we have a lot of statistics on there. Our course is very, very well vetted with all sorts of references. So you can actually see all the references for the course in there with all the different statistics in there. But what you want to remember as a parent is that this is not uh, an opinion that I'm getting ready to tell you. This is not my um, take. The fact of the matter is that dopamine is produced in copious amounts when the digital technology is working properly, which it always is working properly. <laughs> and, and that's the way it's designed. And there are scientists and there are neuroscientists and lots of attention engineers behind the scenes and they are figuring out how to keep our attention. Now we do know statistically our attention span has gone way down. It keeps getting less and less and less. We know now that, that parents and kids and teens, they don't really read that much anymore. They, you know, blogs used to be the big thing where you would read blogs. Now, not, not as much. Now we're down to like a 10 second reel on social media. <laughs> and so they say now that our attention span is around seven seconds and it's probably even getting less than that the joke is that a goldfish has an attention span that is now longer than a human being. Um, I don't know where this is, but this has been written up and kind of proven in some labs, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but what, what we do know, and I want, I want everybody to really think about this. What we do know is that dopamine is produced. We do know this. And we know it's the same dopamine that's produced when you are on drugs, for example. So when you get high on a narcotic, 
A lot of people don't understand that it's not the drug that gets you high. What happens when you take a narcotic is it blocks your dopamine receptors. So your brain thinks that you don't have enough dopamine. It registers, oh no, we need more dopamine. So it dumps dopamine. So when you are in narcotics, you are getting high from your own supply of dopamine. It blocks the dopamine receptors, right? So your body, you know, raises, rises to the occasion and says, okay, dopamine, dopamine, dopamine. That's why you get the good feeling when you take narcotics. The same thing happens when your child is on a video game. And quite frankly, when adults are on social media, when we get a lot of likes on our photos and our posts, we get that little dollop of dopamine and it feels good. That's why we keep doing it. We don't do things that don't feel good. We do things that feel good. And so when your child is on social media, they get even more dopamine because kids and teens make more dopamine than adults. It's a sad, sad story, but it's true. <laughs> but that's just because they're, they're fresher and newer. <laughs> they're younger. So they make more dopamine for everyday things. So they get very excited when they get a battle royale on Fortnite. Whereas you can play Fortnite and it's kind of like, nah, not that big a deal. But to your teen, they get a huge dose of dopamine when that happens. Well, it is the same dopamine that they get if they were on cocaine. It's yeah. the same chemical. It's the same dopamine. And so that's why there is such a strong addiction to it because it feels good. I want more of that. Hey, I don't have to be in front of people. And that's awkward, remember, because I'm a teenager and I haven't done so much of that yet. So that's a super awkward thing for me to do. So I don't really want to be in front of people. Um, not only is it uh, not awkward, but, and I don't get anxious over it, it's I'm getting all this dopamine and it fits the bill for my craving for low effort, high reward activities, because I'm a teenager and that's what I'm craving. I'm looking for the lowest effort with the highest reward. And that is not cleaning my room and that is not doing the dishes. It's not walking the dog, right? It's not mopping the floor. That, that doesn't fit that bill but video games and time on my phone does. Low effort, high reward, low effort, high reward. So if you think of it that way, that's what we're setting our kids up. That's what we're setting them up for. That's what we're forming in their brain to crave more low effort and, and high reward. And what we have to do as parents and as their coach is we have to say, team, we are losing. We have to go back to the basics. What does a good coach do? What does every good coach do when their team is losing? They go back to the basic skills. They start working on core exercises. Mm -hmm. And this is what we have to do with our kids. And it's hard. It is so hard because the whole culture out there and all of our friends are saying, this stuff is fine. It's just a game. Well, let me tell you, it is not just a game. It is a dopamine production machine. And there's not a whole lot else in life, including sex and eating, which are the other two high dopamine producer activities mm -hmm. that, that can be as high as playing a game. My son wow. uh, will say in any interview that playing video games delivers more dopamine than those two things. That's why people will not eat for 18 wow. hours while they're gaming. They, they won't even get up and go to the bathroom, right? So gamers, a lot of times they're either wetting the sofa or they're wearing some sort of depends or diaper because they don't want to interrupt even 
a bathroom break. So as a coach, you really have to know your facts. You have to get your head on straight. You have to raise the bar. And you don't want to say to your team, if you're coaching a baseball team, you would never say, honey, it's okay to strike out at this at bat. It's okay. It's okay. We would never say that. Now, is your child going to strike out? Sure. They're going to at least a third, two thirds of the time they're going to strike. But as a coach, you set the bar high and you say, you know what? You're better than this. We are not going to spend four hours a day or even one hour a day on this video game. We're going to spend it over here. And then once you start redirecting and replacing, guess what you do? You start building new pathways in their brain. They start liking those things but they have to practice those things in order to like those things. If you don't put them in their life, they are not naturally gonna pick those things. And in the old days, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, <laughs> we didn't have to worry so much about this because kids were running outside and playing. They were riding their bike and they had their longboards and their skateboards and girls were getting together at the mall maybe, or they were Mm -hmm. sewing together or you know shopping doing whatever they did together I have three boys and one girl so and and my daughter is a college athlete so <laughs> I we didn't do a whole lot of the prissy stuff around our house but you know they were they were making things they were crafting they were cooking they were doing those things and boys were always outside and now what we've done is we've we've shifted all that and we've got all our boys inside they're being classically conditioned, just like Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman book talks about the classical condition that's going on in their brain. They're becoming classically conditioned for all the violence. And we do know, we absolutely scientifically know that kids that play these violent video games are more aggressive than kids who don't. So you look at the, the protective factors that may be absent in a child's life. You know, maybe they don't have a family support they don't have a lot of uh, adults in their life that are looking after them. Um, you know, they have a couple other nicks in their armor along the way. And then you give them a video game and you're going to end up with a very, very dangerous addiction. Uh, a lot of moms who have sons that are gamers will tell us in our group that we have that their son gets violent. He will um, hit his fist through the wall. He will throw things. There are numbers of cases of kids who have broken their computers, who, you know, because they're so frustrated over their game. Um, it does elicit a very, uh, a very strong aggression. And this is where we get very concerned. Um, you know, not every gamer is going to be that aggressive, but kids who are struggling with guns and all of the school killings and all that, they all struggle with gaming. It's not that every gamer turns into a, sh a shooter, uh, I mean, a killer, but that is an underlining cause. And that is the most delicate of all situations to talk about because no parent can ever believe that their child will ever be capable of that. But if you put your kid on cocaine, then you've got to realize that there's there's a lot of protective factors that are missing from his life. And there are a lot of things that are going to happen that are completely out of your control. That's so, so that's the sad truth. You know, uh, our, the, I don't want to say our, but the Sandy Hook school shooter who mm -hmm. had uh, been a recent graduate of the Newtown school system, 
he was heavily into video games. He was addicted. He was only on video games. In fact, he had a padlock on his door. All of his windows were blacked out with garbage bags. And all he did was be online. In fact, he didn't even want to talk to his mom. His mom uh, communicated with him through a screen. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so a hundred percent. And is it the same? Is it kind of the same addiction? If you're on, if you're, if you drink, I think you, you eventually need to start drinking more. Yeah. If you're drinking drugs, yeah. you need more of that. Is it the same for video games? So it's, it's very much the same. And this is what I want to say, why we are so passionate about saying no to video games altogether, because in our culture today, not true 15 years ago when Pac-Man was the game of choice, but in our culture today, they start with Fortnite, which is one of the most violent video games out there. And it, it conditions, it conditions them and it's like a gateway drug, right? So you may not be into heroin yet, but you start with whatever you can buy on the street and some pot and then some cocaine, and then it works its way up. And that is the danger. The danger is that you are putting your child on a path, on an addictive path. So maybe that Minecraft and maybe that Fortnite at first you think is cute and funny and it's cartoon characters and it's funny dances, but what it's doing is conditioning them to where it won't be enough pretty soon. So they're getting all this excitement they're in third and fourth grade, which you know Fortnite is for 13 years and above only. But most 13-year-olds don't play Fortnite. They're into Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto because they've outgrown Fortnite in their brain. Fortnite already did it for them and they're done. So to your point, yes, it makes them crave more and more and more. You know, if you give a mouse a cookie, you know, they're going to want more and more. And so that is true. Your brain becomes accustomed and regulated to that higher dopamine from Fortnite, for example. So now your brain gets regulated. It's like we've been making all this dopamine. Now we're going to kind of ratchet it down. So now what happens is you go to play Fortnite and you're not getting the same amount of dopamine. Right. So now you got to go to the next level. And the next level is even a more addictive more violent game. And this is the reason why when you take your child off their game, they go into a depression, they have meltdowns, they have horrible withdrawals, they have fits to the point where most parents that live with heavy gamers can't even do it for one day. They cannot take their kid off their game for one day. Um, our, our detox is 30 days. And it's just a way, you know, to help parents to walk them through the detox. But when you have a heavy gamer, an older teenager, it is very difficult because they crash if they don't have their drug and they get very anxious and stressed and depressed. Um, gamers can commit suicide. This is not un unusual to hear. They get very, very depressed because they, they're trapped. They, they don't have a life when they're on the game, but they try to get off the game and they get depressed. And, you know, creating a new life and creating all that to have new friends in person, all that is exhausting. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work, a lot of energy, a lot of investment. And they don't have the um, emotional tools because all their tools have been you know, orchestrated around the virtual world. And it doesn't apply to the real world. 
So this is my really my warning cry for every parent out there. If you have a child who is gaming every day, you are in trouble. It is you're you're in you're starting to get in the quicksand, I will say. <laughs> and the deeper you get, the harder it is to pull them out. If you have a son who can play a video game and can take it or leave it and gets bored after 30 minutes, then you're probably fine as long as he has lots of other activities. In a nutshell, I like to say uh, that if your son can list two or three things that he likes better than his game, and what I mean by that is he would pick going outside with their friends if they knock on his door, if he's in the middle of a video game, or if he would rather go play tennis, or if he would rather go play his piano piece, or if he would just rather, you know, but he still likes gaming, that's fine. But if he can't list two or three things that he likes more than his game, then you're on the path. You're on the path. And it will just be hit or miss whether or not he 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 gets into a full-fledged addiction or, you know, in high school, sometimes kids get involved in new activities that tend to pull them away from their game. Um, that's very serendipitous and it's very hit or miss. And if you are not a parent who is orchestrating that a little bit more, you have to open doors. You have to push them a little bit. You are not dealing with an adult. You are dealing with a teenager. They do not know what's best for them. They very much think their parents are, are stupid, right? We remember, all of us remember when we hit our late 20s, how smart our parents got, right? So all of a sudden, they seem so wise. But when you are 18, you think you are more wise than your parents. <laughs> and so you have to say, okay, that's fine. But you know, when you're an adult, you can do whatever you want. But when you're under my roof, we are not playing video games. We're doing these other things instead. Now I do also say that if you do have a heavy gamer, that you can't do this overnight. You have to be careful. The more immersed they are, the more careful you have to be. We actually are starting um, the end of the summer, beginning of the fall. We're starting our Screen Strong Circle, which is our paid, very inexpensive community where we will have physicians coming in every Tuesday at noon. And they're gonna be on a webinar and they're gonna be answering your questions live. I am so excited. Wow. I mean, I wish so badly I had that when we were struggling so much, you know, what do we do? What are the warning signs? What's happening? How do I fix this? And I'm so excited. This is all coming together really well. And uh, so be on the lookout for that too. Very excited about that. Absolutely. And just in the nick of time, right? Yeah. Um, so important. And one of the things that really surprised me that I read was that when you go into schools and you educate kids, that the kids themselves actually, uh, they, they understand the deleterious mm -hmm. effects and they take responsibility for their own screen usage. You know, I mean, I think if, as parents, they're listening and they're like, ah, you know, it's, it's all on me, but actually when you, and this is the reason that I reached out to you, Melanie, because I want to put this into our choose love programming that we actually teach the kids because kids, you know, this is, this is character, social, emotional development, growth mindset, positive psychology, mindfulness, post-traumatic growth, and kids crave it. Yeah. They want it. Sometimes it's the kids themselves that promote our program in the schools or even bring me in. So yes. kids, 
Kids want this. They want to flourish. They want to be happy. When you're sitting behind a screen and you're killing people remotely and you're not out and about, that is not how we're designed to live as human beings. And, and there isn't happiness and joy in there. There may yeah. be dopamine, but not the happiness and joy that we get from connection and true belonging. There's that, that false sense of belonging, but that's not what you get. And kids actually kind of, there's something, I don't know if it's like a, an innate truth that they know this and, and unless mm -hmm. they actually are addicted and have a problem, they actually want to do the right thing. Can you talk a little bit about that programming? Yes, and that is really true. And if you can get them younger, that's where there's a sweet spot where they are going to be much more able to take on the challenge of becoming a game-free kid. We have a game-free home here. We also have a porn-free home. We talk about that a lot. Um, but what happens when they, when they cross a certain threshold, usually around 13 or 14, it gets exponentially harder. Now, yeah. we do have a challenge that we can do in a school, a seven-day challenge where kids get off their screens for seven days and they write essays about what happened to them. And it is just the most amazing thing that happens. But if they don't have a parent to help them, it, it won't work. They have to have structure and they have to have leadership. Your child is, is an apprentice leader, they are not a leader yet. And parents all across the world make this mistake and they have a blind spot and they think that their kid is different. And let me just tell you, your kid is not different. I want you to think about it like smoking. If you have a 14 year old smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, um, their lungs are gonna look a certain way, right? After X amount of time. It doesn't matter what you tell, tell them. It doesn't matter the conversations you have. It doesn't matter how great you think your kid is or how resilient you think your kid is. Their lungs are gonna look the same. Every 14 year old lung is gonna look the same. It's just, that's just the, what smoking does to our lungs. And we have to realize this with screen use. It doesn't help your child develop EQ skills. It damages part of their brain. And it is permanent. It is permanent things that happen. Kids are very interested in knowing this. Absolutely. The course we have is designed for adults, but high school kids are absolutely getting a lot of benefit from it. We are working now on a course that's more structured for middle school. We have one for little bitty kids, for parents to sit down with their preschoolers and their kindergartners. We have that for them to talk about. But the middle school, I think it's probably fourth and fifth grade. If you can get the information to them at those ages and, and this caveat, if they can find at least one other friend to do this with them, then you, you've put them on a different trajectory. You've taken them off that destructive path and you put them over here on a different trajectory. It's really important that you have a community around this. It's nearly impossible to do this by yourself just like it's impossible to do anything countercultural by yourself. And most parents feel very alone. They feel very isolated. And Screen Strong is that organization that is there to provide this community to say, you are not alone. And you know what? You don't need 10 friends. You only need a few. Our human brain can only handle five relationships that are really close at any given time to begin with. So, you know, and then the next number is 15. And then it's a little bit more, but our close relationships, your child doesn't need a hundred friends. 
your child needs two or three friends. And if those two or three friends that they can rub shoulders with, if they can be screen strong together, then you are there. It is so much easier. And to answer your question, kids are dying for this information. We have to, as a culture and as the adults in their life, we have to tell them what is happening with this. Now, will they put all the pieces together? No, they are young. They don't have the wisdom. So that's why they still need parents to walk alongside with them. And parents need screen strong to walk alongside of them because it's hard. It's just like coaching. When you are a baseball coach, you want to meet every year, go to a conference or every six months and meet other baseball coaches so you can figure out what's working for them, right? So that's what Screen Strong provides. But for your teenagers in your school, if you're listening and you have schools out there and you have your teacher, your administrator, get the Screen Strong program in your school, get this education going. And what you want to do is get a little rep you want to get, not a little rep, but you want to get another mom or another parent in a class to say, I want to be the Spring Strong rep, and we're going to have non-tech activities at my house, and I'm going to plan non-tech fun for these kids, and we're going to meet at the park every Thursday, and we're going to learn how to do Frisbee golf, and we're going to learn how to decorate cakes, and we're going to learn all these different things, but there has to be some moms that come along and say, no more, we're going to replace this time after school with some fun things. We need to get our kids back in music again. I can't even say enough about music and how important playing an instrument is. When I say music, I mean playing an instrument. So if you take 10,000 hours and take that out of your video game bucket and put it on the piano, oh my goodness, you're going to be an amazing pianist by the time you hit high school, by the time you leave. So yes, um, that was a long answer, but yes, if we can teach our kids, I'm all about it. We have to, but it has to be in conjunction with right coaching from parents. They can't do it on their own. This is so, I mean, just the awareness alone, I, almost everything that you said, I, I didn't know. And I know a lot of the listeners uh, aren't necessarily focused on screens because screens kind of make our lives easier, right? Yes. They babysitter. They're quiet. If they're quiet, that's all we need. Then we yeah. have time to do what we want to do. And, and I want you to, I just want to say this one thing and interrupt you really quick. A drowning child is quiet. Uh, so important. Think about that. Yeah. We do not want our kids to be quiet, but you're right. Mm -hmm. I was so guilty. My son was such a good kid. He didn't get any trouble, mm. right? He, he was, I knew where he was. He was quiet and it makes me really emotional because my younger two are not quiet. They are loud and I hear them all the time and their friends are here all the time. That's the way it should be. Yes. That's you cannot true. hear a drowning child. Yeah. It's not natural for kids yes. to be quiet, but you're exactly right. That's what lures us. It feels like it's peaceful and it feels like they're safe. They are not safe and they are literally dying. They have brain connections that are dying. They have relationships that are dying. Yes. Their life is shriveling up, yes. but they're quiet. You're yeah. right. They're right. quiet. Right. And it also requires that we take a look at ourselves and our screen usage and we model what's healthy for our kids. But of course, everyone benefits if we do that. But here's the thing. It takes personal responsibility, right? It takes, uh, it takes taking back control of your home. It takes effort, but the effort 
pays off in spades by having kids that are that are mentally, physically, mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally healthy mm -hmm. and flourishing. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to thank you so much for joining us. And, and can you give your website again for everyone? Yes, it's screen, S-C-R-E-E-N, strong, screenstrong.com. And we also have a .org. So I know that sounds confusing, but either one will take you to the site. And we have our Screen Strong Families Facebook group. Okay. And just to say that we are fine, parents need to use their screens as a tool. You're absolutely right. We need to model, but we are not on the same level with our kids. We are the coaches. Coaches do things a little different. Yes, they model character and they model good behavior, but don't get the feeling that you can't have screen time because your kids can't, right? You are the leader. So you have a job. You have to do certain things, but you can absolutely model uh, the, the correct behavior by not being on your screen all the time in front of your kids. And we help parents with that a lot. And we just help them a lot figure out that, you know, they don't have to check their social media all day. Maybe they check it after the kids go to bed for an hour. That's it. You know, and so it's a, a lot of retraining around that. But ScreenStrong.com, ScreenStrong.org. I want, um, and that all goes to the same place. I want everyone to at least go look at the course offering. Mm -hmm. Um, we do have a weekly podcast. We have experts on all the time, every week mm. in the Screen Strong families. And we have this new Screen Strong circle starting. So please look out for that. This is going to be the most amazing opportunity for parents to speak with medical doctors, psychiatrists about their particular kids. We are thrilled to death over it. Just thrilled over uh, that. So am I. Thank you so much for what you do. This is so vitally important. Thank you for sharing this information with our following. We choose love is in over 10,000 schools across the country, every state, 120 countries. Wonderful. So, so powerful. So, so much information for everybody out there to help their kids. We just want to keep our kids safe and flourishing. And you're doing such a great job in doing that. Thank you so much Thanks. for joining us. Thank you for having me anytime. I'd love to come back too. Okay, definitely. Thank you, Melanie. Okay, thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Hey, hey, oh. It's all part of us. We can all choose love. It'll lift you up if you